get out and go over into your New Testament to Colossians. Will you go to Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, Colossians chapter 2. We're making our way this morning to Colossians chapter 2. And in verse number 6, as Paul writes to the people of God, to Christians, he says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Walk in Jesus Christ, having been firmly rooted, and now being built up in Him and establishing your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing, overflowing with gratitude. Habits. Habits, good habits. For those of us who are parents in the room this morning, you will agree with me when I say that from the time our kids are very small, we want to start teaching them good habits, right? We want to teach them good habits. We want to teach them to get into the habit of saying please. And excuse me and remember to chew with your mouth closed and clean up after yourself and wash your hands. And especially, especially always remember to say thank you. Always remember to say thank you when someone does something kind and gracious for you in your life. As parents, we want our kids to understand the value of thankfulness. From the time they're very small, but now let me transition and ask a question to us adults. Let me now ask a question to us who are grown-ups in the room. Let me ask a question to the grown-ups in the room who are Christians. For the grown-ups in the room who are Christians this morning, like the spirit that we're constantly trying to instill in our children, are we thankful? Are we grateful? Are we doing what Paul talks about here in Colossians chapter 2? And that is doing our best to live every single day a life that is overflowing with gratitude. Or do we constantly grumble? Do we constantly find ourselves full of anger and resentment? Do we constantly gripe and complain? We constantly gripe and complain because we feel like we should have the same kind of blessings that other people have. We should have the same kind of house that other people have. We should have the same kind of cars, the same kind of clothes. We should be as liked and popular as other people are. We should have the same kind of high-paying job. Or we should be able to take the same kind of expensive vacations like all the other people we see on social media. We should have what this person has. We should have what that person has. Do we live with a mindset like that every single day? Do we live with a mindset that is constantly competitive and ungrateful and discontent with the blessings we have from God? I hope not. I hope we don't live like that. I hope in a culture where so many people are angry and full of pessimism and resentment, we understand that as the people of God, an attitude of gratitude and thanksgiving, well, that's supposed to be in our DNA. That's supposed to be a big part of who we are and, and what we're all about. That's supposed to be something that we're striving to do every single day. That's what Paul is talking about there in Colossians chapter 2. 
That is what the psalmist was talking about in Psalm 118, the psalm that we studied this morning. That is a message that is preached to us over and over again in the Bible. The question, though, is, is how do we do it? How do we do what Paul talks about in Colossians 2? How do we do what the psalmist talks about in Psalm 118? How do we live a life every single day that is overflowing with gratitude towards the blessings of God? Well, I believe, I believe that there is a great story in the Gospels that can help us with that. I believe that there is a great story in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 17, that can help us with that. Will you make your way back to where our scripture reading was this morning in Luke chapter 17? Go ahead and just kind of park yourself right there because our lesson this morning will be primarily from Luke 17. Here in Luke 17, we find a story that is unique to the gospel of Luke. It is a story that you only find in the gospel of Luke. It is the story of Jesus, Jesus healing 10 lepers. Jesus heals 10 lepers here in Luke chapter 17 as Jesus makes his way to Jerusalem one final time before he dies for the sins of the world. Luke, the writer of this gospel, tells us that as he passed between the regions of Samaria and Galilee, 10 men who had leprosy stood at a distance and they began to call out to him. They began to cry out to him. They began to cry and, and beg for, for mercy and, and healing. They knew that Jesus was a mighty man of miracles and, and they wanted him to heal them. They wanted him to cure them. They wanted him to, to take away their leprosy. They are begging and pleading and crying for the mercy and grace of Jesus and for us to really be able to appreciate what's going on there. I think it is important that we pause for a moment or two this morning and talk a little bit about leprosy. Let's talk about leprosy. I'm not going to put any pictures of leprosy on the slide because I certainly don't want to gross you out. But we need to talk about leprosy. You see, in our time today, we make a big deal out of doing all we can to avoid catching things like the flu and COVID and the Delta variant. But let me tell you something. Leprosy? Leprosy is much more severe than all this stuff we're talking about in our society today. Leprosy is an awful and dreadful disease. Leprosy was an awful and dreadful disease in the time of Jesus. Leprosy was a disease that you wouldn't wish upon your worst enemies. It was a disease so bad, is so bad, that words really can't describe it. It began with a small patch of discolored skin, usually on a person's face, and it would eventually spread throughout their entire body. It would spread to their arms, their hands, their legs, their feet, their chest. It would spread throughout a person's entire body. A person's entire body would be covered with sores and, and scabs. And eventually, eventually the disease would eat through a person's flesh. 
It would eat through a person's tissue, destroying their internal organs until slowly their entire body was consumed. Their entire body would literally rot away. Body parts would fall off. It was a horrible, horrible disease for a person to have. An awful disease, dreadful disease. And maybe the worst part about it is there was no cure. You see, if you call leprosy, you were going to die. You were not going to survive that. You literally became a walking dead person. You had a death sentence upon you and you were extremely contagious. In fact, that is exactly why when these men come out to Jesus, the Bible says they stand outside of a village at a distance from him. Why are they standing at a distance from Jesus outside of a village? Well, the reason why they're standing out outside of a village at a distance from Jesus is because they can't go in the village. They can't go among the general population of people in that village. They couldn't go around their family members. They can't go around their spouse, their kids, their grandkids. They can't just walk up and shake somebody's hand or give somebody a hug or give somebody a fist bump. No, if you had leprosy. You got to stay a long way from general population. You got to stay a long way from your community so that you won't infect others. So that you won't give other people leprosy. You got to be in isolation. You got to be all to yourself. In fact, when lepers did decide to travel outside of their camp before going somewhere, or before arriving among a general population of people, they had to scream out, unclean, unclean, unclean. They had to let people know that they were coming so people could get out of there. They couldn't be around people. They had a miserable and awful existence. And the scripture says 10 of these guys, 10 of these guys came to Jesus. 10 of these guys came to Jesus. They have leprosy. And they say, Jesus, please help us. Jesus, please heal us. Jesus, please have mercy on us. Make it so that we can get our lives back. We want to go back and be with our families. Give us your grace. Give us your mercy. And Jesus, being the gracious and merciful and compassionate Savior that he is, he, he gives it to them. He helps them. He blesses them. He tells them to go and show themselves to the priest. Someone says, why would they need to go and show themselves to the priest? Well, my friends, during this time, during this time, if you contracted leprosy in Israel, if you happen to believe that you were cured for whatever reason, if you happen to believe that, you would have to go and do what Jesus says here. You would have to go according to the law of Moses and show yourself to the priest. You would have to go to a priest. And let him examine you. Let him see this is really legit. Is your leprosy really gone? If it was really gone, if you were really cured after being examined by the priest, then guess what? You go back and rejoin society. You go back home. Go back to your family. Go back to your friends. Jesus says, you men, you go to the priest. He tells them to do that before he even heals them. And to their credit, the scripture says they obeyed him. 
They did exactly what he said. They acted in faith. They started making their way to the priest, even with leprosy. But along the way, they were healed. The leprosy was taken away. They were completely made whole and their lives were restored. All of these men, all 10 of these men experienced a great miracle from the hand of God. The question, though, is, is what happened next? What happened after these men were blessed by Jesus? What happened after these men had been healed by Jesus? Well, according to the text, after Jesus healed these 10 men, nine of them kept going. Nine of them kept making their way to the priest. But one of them, one of them turned back. One of them went back. One of them went back to Jesus and said, thank you. He went back to Jesus and he fell before him on his knees and he started glorifying God. He started giving Jesus the glory he deserved for taking this disease away. The Bible says that only one of these guys, only one of these guys remained after Jesus had healed the lepers. And Luke makes it very clear that this one who remained, he wasn't a Jew. He wasn't an Israelite. He wasn't part of the people of God. Instead, this guy was a foreigner. This guy was a Samaritan. This guy was part of a nation of people that the Jews could not stand. Luke really likes to put that kind of stuff in his gospel. Have you noticed that? Since Luke is the only Gentile author of the New Testament, he really likes to put in his Gospels occasions when Jesus gave teaching that were designed to paint, to paint the Jews in a negative light and paint the non-Jews in a positive light. He does that in Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus, and Luke's the only one that tells us about this, he tells us about an occasion when Jesus is almost killed in Nazareth because he went into the synagogue and he preached about God's blessings on Gentiles. He went and he talked about the time when God blessed the widow of Zertha and when God healed Naaman the Syrian of leprosy. The Jews in, in Nazareth, his hometown, almost killed him because he preached about blessings on Gentiles. And then remember in Luke chapter 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke's the only one who talks about that parable. And in that parable, who's the good guy? Well, the good guy's not the Jews. The good guy is not the priest and the Levite. Instead, the good guy in that story is a Samaritan. Luke loves to put in his gospel occasions when non-Jews are good guys. He likes to do that. In fact, I believe that this nameless Samaritan leper who remained with Jesus, he teaches us so many lessons about thanksgiving. He teaches us so many lessons about gratitude. He teaches us so many lessons about how to do what Paul talks about in Colossians chapter 2, and that is live our lives every single day overflowing with a spirit of gratitude. For example, when we look at this Samaritan, this one who remained after being blessed by Jesus, we learn that when a person is really thankful for the blessings of God, you know what they're going to do? They're going to stop and say so. 
They're going to stop and acknowledge it. They're going to stop and say, thank you. Jesus commends this man for doing that. Jesus commends this man for stopping and saying thank you. Notice how when this man comes to him and he falls before him and he gives him the glory, Jesus doesn't say, well, hey, wait a minute, son, you don't have to do that. Well, what are you doing? This is not a big deal. You, you do like the other guys are doing. You don't have to acknowledge me. You don't have to tell me thank you for what I've done. Notice Jesus, he doesn't say that to this man. Instead, what does he say? Well, he says, why don't the other guys do what you did? Where are the other guys? Why are you the only one that is here? Look at the text again. Luke chapter 17 and verse 15. Now, one of them, after Jesus had cleansed all ten of them, one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet and giving thanks to him. And Luke wants you to know this guy is a Samaritan. Luke wants you to know that. Then Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was not one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Notice how it is clear. It is clear based on what Luke is doing here that Jesus expected all these guys to show him some gratitude. He especially expected the nine Jewish men to show him some gratitude. He expected all these guys to give him some glory and acknowledgement for what he had done. And I guess the interesting question is, is why didn't they all do that? Why didn't they all give Jesus some credit? Why didn't the other nine guys do what the Samaritan guy did. Why didn't they all come back and fall before Jesus and say, thank you, Lord. You gave me my life back. I can now be rejoined to my society. Thank you, Lord. Why didn't they all do that? You ever thought about that? You ever thought about that before? Could it have been that the other nine guys didn't do that because they were just so excited? <laughs> They're just so excited. Man, we get our lives back. Let's get to the priest as soon as we can. We got to keep going. I get to be with my wife. I get to go back home to my kids. I get to go back to my grandkids. I can go back to work. I can get my job back. I can sleep in my own bed. Finally, finally, my life is normal. You think in their excitement, they got just lost in the moment? Want to just get back to their families as soon as they as they could. You know, our kids, our kids fall into that trap from time to time, don't they? You know, around this time of the year, when we go back home to where we're from in Texas, since we only see our families once a year, when the grandkids go back, when Sean Michael and Faith go back to Texas, when they go from this house and that house, as soon as they walk in, in, in the homes, you know what they have waiting on them? All kind of, all kind of gifts. They got all kinds of presents waiting for them. As soon as they walk through the door, they got Air Jordans waiting on them. They got Barbies. They got motorized toys that I certainly can't get on an airplane. This stuff happens. It happens nearly every single year. They get showered with all these gifts. And sometimes when they're opening up these gifts, they're opening up one gift to another because they're so excited, because they're so happy and overwhelmed. 
Janice and I got to tell our kids sometimes, well, hold on a second, slow down a little bit. Slow down, stop where you are. Don't you open up another gift until you say thank you. Slow down. Say thank you. I know you're at your 10th gift now, but say thank you for the other nine before you go any further. Say thank you. Sometimes our kids can be so excited and caught up in the moment concerning something that they forget to say thank you. The question is, what about you? What about you in your life? I mean, right now in your life, is there anybody that you can think of that you just need to stop today, stop what you're doing, and just say thank you? Young people, do you need to just stop today and say thank you to your parents? Thank you for raising me. Thank you for going to a job and working hard to take care of me. Thank you for teaching me about God. Thank you for all the stuff that you do for me every single day. Do you need to say thank you to your parents today? Do you need to stop tomorrow and just say thank you to, to a teacher? Go to one of your teachers and say thank you for being such a good teacher. Thank you for encouraging me all the time. Do you need to say thank you to a teacher? Is there anyone here who needs to say thank you to a brother or sister in this church? Is there anyone here today who needs to just stop before you go any further and say thank you to a brother or sister? Thank you for being there for me. Thank you for encouraging me. Thank you for giving me some good godly advice when I was going through a rough moment in my life. Is there anyone here who needs to say thank you to a shepherd? Before you go home today, do you need to just stop and go to a shepherd and say thank you? Thank you for helping me when I was weak. Thank you for praying with me. Thank you for encouraging me. Thank you for never giving up on me when I was really spiritually weak in my life. Do you need to stop and say thank you to a shepherd today? Do you need to stop and say thank you to a deacon because you've noticed some good work for God they're doing around here? Do you need to stop and say thank you to a Bible class teacher? Do you need to go to a Bible class teacher and say thank you so much for putting all this work in to, to help teach me the word of God twice a week? Is there anyone who needs to say thank you to their brethren? And is there anyone here who needs to stop and say thank you to God? Instead of constantly complaining and griping about all the bad things going on in our culture, gas prices, inflation, bills, taxes, all the unrest that's going on in our society, instead of complaining about that stuff all the time, is there anyone here who needs to just stop and get on their knees and say, God, forgive me. I'm sorry for griping and complaining all the time. Thank you. Thank you that I have a car to even put some gas in. Thank you for my home. Thank you for the food I have to eat today. Thank you that I can pay taxes. Because you know what that means? That means I got a job. I got a job. Thank you most importantly for taking care of my greatest need 2,000 years ago. When you gave me your son Jesus. Down the cross for my sins. This one healed leper that remained teaches us that the person who is truly grateful for the blessings of God, he stops and says so. He stops and he says thank you to God. He doesn't get so wrapped up living, up, living in God's world that he refuses to just pause every now and then and acknowledge God and what he's done for him. This man teaches us that the thankful person stops and says thank you. 
And you know what else he teaches us? He also teaches us that a spirit of thanksgiving, it perfects our faith. Oh, yes, it perfects our faith. That's what the text says. Go back to Luke 17 again, please. Look at verse 14. After these men come to Jesus and they beg to be healed, in verse 14, it says, When Jesus saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now, one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, he turned back glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him, and he was a Samaritan. In verse 19, in verse 19, Jesus said to the Samaritan, stand up and go your what? Your faith. Your faith has made you well. Let's talk about this a little bit. Notice how like in all the other cases where Jesus performs a miracle to bless somebody and heal someone, well, this case right here also involves some faith, doesn't it? It involves some faith, like Naaman the Syrian at 2 Kings chapter 5, like he needed to go and dip in the Jordan River seven times if he was going to be healed of his leprosy, like he needed to have some faith, like he needed to do something if God was going to bless him, but these men also had to do that. Like Naaman the Syrian, these men also had to have some faith. They also had to have some belief and trust in God. They also had to obey the specific instructions that God had given them. Once they did that, they were cleansed. They were made whole. Their leprosy was taken away, just like Naaman's. And yet Jesus says in verse 19 that the one who remained, he was made well. What? He was made well? That's an interesting statement, especially when you consider that the other nine were made well too. The, the other nine were healed too. Jesus took away their leprosy too, like this one who remained. They also had enough faith to go and show themselves to the priest. They did that before being healed, just like this one who remained did. They were healed. They've been showed, they were going to show themselves to the priest. So what made the Samaritan so much different? Well, why did Jesus say what he said in verse 19 to him? Why did he say to him, your faith has made you well? Well, they all were made well, right? Well, listen carefully. I believe that when Jesus says what he says in verse number 19, he's referring to this man's spirit of thanksgiving. I believe that he is saying that by acknowledging God, by acknowledging Jesus as the source of his healing, his faith had been perfected. His faith had been made better while the other nine men had been physically healed just like him. This man's glory to God, this man's glory to Jesus led him to being spiritually well. And closer to God. This man got closer to God. Because he had a spirit of thanksgiving. And how often do we think about that? How often do we consider that? How often do we consider just how closely connected an attitude of gratitude and a spirit of thanksgiving is connected to our faith? In Hebrews 11 and verse 6, the Hebrew writer says, and without faith. It is impossible to please God. 
For he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he exists, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 17, Paul says that we are to live by faith. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, he says that we are justified by faith. In Galatians 2 and verse 16, he says there again that we're not justified by the law of Moses, but we're justified by faith. We're justified by faith in Jesus Christ. My dear friends, the Bible is clear when it says that faith, faith in God, faith in Jesus Christ, it is absolutely necessary to have a relationship with God. It is absolutely necessary to truly know God. It is absolutely necessary to be saved. And when we live lives that are constantly thankful for the blessings God gives us, you know what happens? We perfect our faith. We grow in our faith. We mature in our faith. We complete faith because we are acknowledging God as the rewarder of the things that we have in our lives. They all were made well, but only one perfected his faith. This man teaches us that if we're really thankful to God, we need to stop and say so. We need to stop and thank God. We need to understand that the spirit of thanksgiving, well, that's closely connected to our faith. But then third and finally, he also teaches us that a grateful heart. A grateful heart impacts God. It impacts Jesus. Go back to Luke 17 one more time. Look at verse number 17. After this Samaritan fell down before Jesus and gave him the glory, Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was not one found who returned to give God glory except, except this foreigner? Can you hear Jesus' voice in your mind? Can you hear the sound of disappointment in his voice when he says these words? Can you hear how puzzled he is in his voice? Can you hear how in a puzzled voice or with a puzzled voice, Jesus says, didn't I heal, heal more guys than this? Were there not 10 of you guys, but only one came back to say thank you? Only one bothered to come back and give me some acknowledgement? The Lord is clearly bothered by this. The Lord is clearly bothered when men forget or are unwilling to acknowledge him as the source of their blessings. That was true in the case of these guys, and that's also true in the case of us today. Philippians chapter 4. Remember what Paul told us in Philippians chapter 4 and in verse number 6. Paul says, Philippians 4 and verse 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. We read from Colossians 2 earlier, but remember, if you go to chapter 3, we find Paul saying these words. Chapter 3 of Colossians, verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do it by the authority. We know that part of the verse very well, but notice the second part. Giving what? Thanks. Giving thanks through him. To God the Father. Chapter 4 and verse 2 of the same book. Chapter 4 and verse 2, devote yourself to prayer. We talked about prayer this morning, and Paul says, devote yourself to prayer, but keep alert in it with an attitude of what? Thanksgiving. The Bible is clear. The Bible is clear that thanksgiving to the Christian is not 
a day, simply a day, is what we're all about. It's who we are. It's how we're supposed to live our lives every single day. Paul says that we need to do this all the time. And from this guy here, we learn that when we fail to do that, when we fail to do what these verses tell us, well, we hurt God. We anger God. We greatly disappoint God. We greatly disappoint God whenever we spend all of our prayers asking God for more blessings instead of spending more time thanking him for the current blessings we have. We hurt God when we do that kind of stuff. We hurt God when we ask. Ask more instead of thank more. We hurt God. We disappoint God whenever we're hit and miss for worship to the worship assembly. Or whenever we sit lifeless in the pew and just go through the motions instead of expressing to God just how thankful we are to him by offering him passionate and enthusiastic worship. Whenever we don't give God the glory he deserves to worship, well, we greatly disappoint him. We hurt him and we also hurt him and disappoint him. When after he's given us his son Jesus Christ on a cross, to take away a far worse disease than leprosy for us, that's the disease of sin, a disease that will get you thrown into hell and forever separated from God. God is hurt when after he gave us the cure for sin, a disease far worse than leprosy, we don't show him the highest level of gratitude by living for him. We don't show him the highest level of gratitude by abiding his word and how we conduct ourselves on our jobs and our marriages and in our parenting. We don't let when we don't let him rule and reign in our hearts and in our lives and in everything we do. Well. We greatly disappoint and hurt God. You see, while God certainly knows everything. While God certainly knows everything about everything, while he certainly knows everything about us, he still wants us to be like the one who remained. He still wants us to live our lives thankful for all that he has done and be willing to acknowledge that. Acknowledge that through our prayers. Acknowledge that by the way we live. The question is, are we willing to do that? Are we willing to live a life that is overflowing with gratitude? Are we willing to live a life that is grateful to Jesus, especially grateful for what he did for us at Calvary? I submit that the number one way, the number one way in which we show gratitude to Jesus is by fully submitting to him, living for him, making sure that we're one of his people, disciples, part of his kingdom. If that's something that you're not part of today, then I want you to know that it, that can change in the next few minutes. If you've been living a life that is showing absolutely no gratitude for the blessings that God has given you, today you can begin your journey by being a Christian and showing God the gratitude that he deserves from you by obeying the gospel, believing in his son, repenting of your sins, and obeying his commandment to be baptized for the remission of your sins. If there's a Christian here and you know that you've been unfaithful to God, that you've been living a very ungrateful life, to the Lord and if you're willing to repent and come back to him this morning he will receive you if there's anyone here who needs to offer God some thanksgiving by submitting to him for the first time or rededicating yourself 
Don't hesitate. Come to the front right now. We'll help you. Let's stand.